0: My goodness, what a great collection of just handsome rascals. You bunch of dollar-earning, mountain-climbing, bull-riding, wave-riding, slam-dunking rascals in this building today. I have always wanted to preach a Father's Day service I'm just barely 35, I'm about to be 35, so I'm just now old enough to just sort of be qualified. A you know, 17-year-old teaching Father's Day just doesn't sit well with the veterans in the gang. And so the veterans who are here, thank you for being so gracious and for not getting up and walking out when a young guy takes the platform. I'm deeply honored to be here with you today and I want to tell you why. I had never really thought about this, Pastor Kathy, but Holly told me that, uh, Bishop was always home to do Father's Day uh, here in Oklahoma City and to our knowledge he's never missed one and so um, we're deeply saddened when we realize that he's not here with us but I am, our sadness is mixed with my honor in that uh, I am deeply honored to be able to be here with you today and to share with you. I know that Bishop loved men, he cared about men and he had an understanding that When things are going good in a man's heart and in a man's life, everything around him seems to go good as well, and many people are blessed. Not only did he believe that, he lived that, and I have benefited from the character of his heart to be not just a good man, but a godly man, and so Lord, if you will, pass a message to Bishop that I've been very grateful to have him in my life. And in honoring Bishop, I have to honor Pastor Kathy. And I'm going to tell you why. Just hang on just a minute. It's not time for that yet. Oh, wait, wait, wait. save it, save it. Don't waste it. Um, Since Pastor Kathy, um, in my opinion, very bravely stepped into the role that she has stepped into, um, we've been in many, many staff planning meetings. We don't rush staff meeting. We take our time. To make sure we thoroughly discuss the topic at hand. And Pastor Kathy, I have been amazed at how when she sits down at the table. And I mean this in all sincerity. You who know me know I'm not a liar when it comes to these things. It has always been at the forefront of her mind. She's saying, what are we doing for the men? What about this man? What about that man? You call him. You check on him. These men are in her heart. Why? that's the heart of God using her as our pastor and so now that she's come up to a new and higher level of anointing she's caring about all the members of the flock and here's what I want to tell the men in the building today you have a lady as your pastor but she is a woman of God who has yielded herself to the spirit of God and she's going to her home and to her prayer closet and she is praying for you seeking saying God what would you have us do at the gate church to minister to the men who you have given into my care. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of lady that I can get behind who will go and pray and get the word of the Lord. So can you help me honor the mother of the house men who she cares about us? And since I have the mic, and just for a short while you're at my mercy, I want to give honor to my father, who was raised in very difficult circumstances and extreme poverty that is typical in Appalachia even still today. So I was raised in the mountains of Georgia, as was he. He was raised in a small mountain community called Gumlog, Gumlog, Gumlog. Anybody who is from Gumlog knows that there's no Maseratis parked anywhere within 500 miles of Gumlog. And my dad started to give his life over to the Lord. And so, for a man who had a GED, he didn't formally complete high school, he got his GED. Uh, He put some minor criminal activity behind him, he gave his life to the Lord. And he started a legitimate masonry business. And he worked for 25 years building homes in the hot, 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 miserable, hot Georgia mountain heat. And he provided for me and my sister and for my mother. And he would come home at night. And <clears throat> his boots would be full of concrete dust and I remember he would be so exhausted he just lay kind of laying back on the couch and he'd stick his foot out and that was his symbol for, or his sign for me to come help him take his boots off and I hated it was a, I hated it when I was a kid but I understand it now and I would have to bust the laces apart to break the concrete and pull his boots off you can imagine what that smelled like And so usually he would come home and eat some fruit of some kind after sweating all day. He didn't care to have a big steak or a bunch of bread or something like that. And he would take a shower. And I remember him walking up the stairs to his bedroom loft. And I remember he kind of had that. Oh, man, here we go. I'm really tired. But he would go into his prayer closet and he started reading books. And he started praying, and I remember it being late at night, watching TV, and I, could, I, could, I kept having to turn my show up. I love the show Tour of Duty, about the Vietnam War. It used to come on on like TNT, and so I'd be watching Tour of Duty and it's gun battles and grenades, and I could hear Dad praying in the Holy Ghost up in the prayer closet. And at the time, I couldn't understand, but what I know clearly now is that my dad gave his life over to the Lord, and he got a taste of God's goodness, and he became a bulldog. And the Lord used him to change the course of the Roberts family. And so, Dad, if you're listening, I want to honor you and say thank you for saying yes to the Lord. Is that okay? Sorry, I, I had the mic and I got to. so <laughs> I love you, Dad. Thank you for being so faithful to the Lord and to our family. I have two things, and we're going to be out of here very quickly. I've been praying. I honestly, I was really nervous when I knew that I was following Bishop's footsteps when it came to our Father's Day service, and I, I felt the Lord to tell me, He told me to tell you two things. So we're going to do those two things, and we're out of here. Felix, turn your phone off for the love of Pete. It's every time, every time. The first thing, I'm going to say it right out of the gate, and the last thing I'm going to tell you right at the very end, and we're going to go home. The first thing is this here's what I want to say to the men of the house, anyone who is watching me online. I felt so strongly in my heart, this is what the Lord wanted me to say. You ready? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what, preacher man? I felt the Lord tell me to say thank you to the men who grow our food, the men who fix our cars and build our roads, the men who build our homes, our schools, and our churches. We want to say thank you to the men who defend our nation and protect our streets. I want to say thank you to the men who teach us music and math. I want to say thank you to the men who coach and mentor the young. I want to say thank you to the men who you woke up even when you were exhausted and tried again the next day. I want to say thank you to the men who you stayed when you wanted to leave. I want to say thank you to the men who you gave more than you were asked thank you to men who you learned to be a dad even when you didn't have one thank you to men who you cared for your siblings when your parents left thank you to men who you loved those children even though they weren't yours men thank you who answered the phone to help a friend thank you to the men who worked a second job to pay for their college Thank you men who you listened and you didn't judge. Thank you men who you have fought and won battles against addiction and lust, depression and anxiety. Thank you men who you didn't abandon your friend. Thank you men that you gave someone a second chance. Thank you men for teaching us to work. Thank you to the men who you chose family over money. Thank you, men, that you told the truth. Thank you for men who stand for justice. Thank you, men, who preach the gospel. And thank you, men, that you're praying before the sun comes up, reading the scripture after the sun goes down, and worshiping how only men can worship. It's easy to point your finger at the bad deeds of a few men, but I want to say thank you to godly men of character who have stood and stood and stood. Thank you. When I think about the men in my life, Many of us, it's difficult to celebrate Father's Day sometimes because we, some of us have bad stories. We have bad experiences. But I'm deeply convinced that if you look long enough, you may have to look through a lot of bad men. But I can guarantee you there's a good one in there somewhere. And sometimes we look at the world and we say, man, it's in bad shape. I think it would be much worse if it wasn't for the good men that we do have waking up every day choosing to be who they know they're supposed to be amen so that's the first thing I was supposed to tell you is thank you is that okay with everybody alright let's take a deep breath we're we'll going to the second thing it's going to be alright so men we usually do things in extremes we usually do really good or really bad Here's one thing that popped into my mind when I thought about it really bad. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't look around, okay? But if you've ever bought your wife a kitchen appliance for your wedding anniversary and thought you did a good job. This lady right here clapping. Now, I don't know what she's trying to say. She's saying that's the word of the Lord, or maybe she knows somebody. I don't know. I don't know. You know, or maybe you're gonna take Sweetie on a lovely date. She's been working so hard taking care of us and the kids, taking care of the home. So we're gonna go out for a nice romantic evening. You've been building her up for it all week, baby. You're gonna love it. We're gonna have the best time. You get the you clean the car, man. you know. You clean the car before you go on a date. You know, you armor all the seats in the old Camaro, so when you go around the curve, she slide right up under your arm. You got a plan. <laughs> You got a plan. See, Oklahoma, guys, let me help you. You maybe don't know because Oklahoma ain't got no curves for you to slide her right up under your arm. But when you grow up in the hills and the mountains of Georgia, bless God, come on, somebody, armor all that thing. You buffing it and polishing it so that when you went around that curve, here she comes. You grinning the whole time. You said, listen, when I go around the curve over at Frank's Garage right there, here she comes. The hand's up, and then when she comes in, hand down, she can't get out. <laughs> so you're getting sweetie pie ready for a date. She gets in the car, and you can tell she's a little excited. She don't know where you're going. And you take her to Swadley's Barbecue in a rodeo, and you thought, boy, we're doing it Right. <laughs> I can't lie, I'm in church. I'm almost certain I've done that. So that was me, what I had in mind there. Now, as men, we usually, we do really good or we do really bad. There's uh, really not much in between. So how do we judge? How do we know, men? How do we know what's good and what's bad? How do we know when I'm being the man that I'm supposed to be? And I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't talk to you out of the Bible. And so we have some examples of what it looks like when we're at our worst. And I hate to say this to poor old Adam, but unfortunately he gives us a good example of what it looks like when men, when we fall short. He fell to the temptation of the enemy. And then when God shows up, Adam, where are you at? Where was Adam? He's hiding in the bushes. Sewed some fig leaves together. He's a real smart feller. And God says, what's going on down here? And what's the first thing that Adam says? It's that woman you give me. As if somehow it's God. That ain't what Adam said when, when God made Eve while Adam was asleep. And then Adam woke up and he saw Eve standing there. He said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God is good. Not when we was hiding in the bushes. It's that woman you give me. He was being selfish. and Man, you know as well as I do that how fallen human nature tends to express itself in us is we're tempted and given over to selfishness. But we also have a great example of what the opposite of that looks like. And when we think about Jesus... We might sum up his life, if we dare, with one word, and that is selfless. He gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave some more. And then in that final moment, hanging on the cross, as the last drops of lifeblood fell out of him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was not enough for Jesus to bear the physical torment and the emotional shame of the cross. He gave the last bit of his soul that he had to give on our behalf when he said, Forgive them for what they've just done. Men, that's the example, and in my opinion, one of the ultimate standards we have to look at and to strive to be like selflessness in the image of Jesus. How does that feel? Now, I'm not coming after you because growing up on Mother's Day, man, the women were celebrated, and everybody was talking about, you better love your mama, don't you make her cook today. And then Father's Day come around, and everybody got beat on the head because we weren't spending enough time with our kids and, you know, this and that. I'm not coming after you with this Father's Day sermon. I'm encouraging you because I look around this room, and I see many men who I think you are working and striving to be selfless. You've worked hard your whole life and given most of your money to your family. And so, generally speaking, a woman will give her physical body in order for a family to be created. Not just in children, but she yields her body to her spouse. The two become one spirit, soul, and body. She yields her body to her spouse so that the two become one. And out of that place of love, she yields her body even further so that children can be born. The family and the love therein is continued on. Men, we watch with awe and wonder as our ladies bring our children into the world. And I don't know about you, but I've watched two come along from my lovely wife, and I've seen miracles there if nowhere else. But something that we must realize about men is that we express our love and give our bodies in different ways because God made us that way. And so men, we have a unique ability to lay in the bed and sleep in and be lazy. But we also have a unique ability to get up day after day, time after time, again and again and again when we feel tired, to get up. Because we're driven and motivated that I want to provide and I want to give to my family the natural resource and security that it needs to just live and be happy. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard men say, I want to work hard to give you a life that I've never had. If that is not selfless in nature, I don't know what is. Because when you look at the animal kingdom, that is not the way things work in mother nature. Life continues on the same as it has always been. And so mama and daddy bears do good to teach their young ones how to survive as they have. But men have a unique ability to say, I'll give you something I never had. That sounds sort of like the heart of God to me when he says, I want to give you more than you thought possible, more than you imagined. It has never entered into the heart of a man, the things that God has in store And so many of you men who are sitting here today, you lay your head on the pillow at night tired, but you're already thinking about tomorrow we're going to hit it again because I want my son to be able to go to a college that I could never get into. I want my daughter to have career opportunities that my mama and her mother have never had. And it takes money and resource. It takes homes and security to make that happen. And so when I say we're at our best when we're selfless, really what I'm doing is shining a spotlight on you. And I want to say to you men that I recognize in the leadership of this house, we recognize that it is your selflessness that helps the world keep spinning. Does that feel okay? But when we think about men and how we're able to be selfish or selfless, here's something that we realize is that men have tremendous capacity, and strength. Men can conquer empires or they can destroy cities. We can do good or we can do bad. Sometimes we write heavy metal, sometimes we write poetry. We have tremendous capacity. And Let me just pause right here. We as the church cannot fall into the trap that I unfortunately feel our society has fallen into. What is that trap you say? The trap of comparison between the genders. And we must not fall into a trap that says to talk about a man's strength is to somehow say that a woman can't do the same thing or that she somehow cannot do or is less than. That's just simply not true. God made us different. We can highlight and glorify God in the strengths of women and we can highlight and glorify God in the strengths of men. A man can do things that a woman can do and vice versa. But here's where we can't fall into comparison. Is that when you compare a man to a woman, the man will always come up short. And when you compare a woman to a man, there will always be some area where she comes up short. We're not valuable and unique in what we're capable of in the natural world. We're unique and capable in the area of our mind, our point of view, how we see the world, how we interact with the world. And so I take time to say that because when I say men have great capacity, I'm not saying that women somehow do not. We're built differently for different purposes and we're at our best when we are together. And so men, when we try to fulfill this great capacity that we have within us, and when we try to do this through our own efforts, through our own strength, through our own brawn, our own willpower, our own discipline, we don't know it, but we put a yoke onto ourselves. The Old Testament has language like this, you're living under thee curse. And so when we seek to live out our manhood, we can quite literally put ourselves into a bad position trying to do things all on our own. When I think about the heroes of the Bible, it's easy for me to find examples of what we might uh, characterize them as manly men. Well, who am I thinking of? Well. The first that comes to mind is Esau. I'm going to tell you why. Because that dude was so hairy that when Jacob went to uh, impersonate him, he got a sheepskin. Now, I don't know the last time you saw a sheep, but a sheep hairy. And so Jacob, the trickster, who just by the way, if I'd have been Esau, I'd have whipped his tail just between me and you. If he'd have stole my birthright for a bowl of beans and a sheepskin, we'd have had words afterwards. He's so hairy. When I think about Abraham, who picked up his family and left a heavily populated, what was at that time a very uh, well-to-do city, picks up his family and starts following the voice of God into a wilderness. I want to talk about a survival expert. It's one thing to survive in the desert by yourself. It's another thing to, to survive in the desert with your wife and kids, tra- trapsing along behind you, living off of goats and sheep. That man's a survival expert. Barry Grills needs to learn a thing or two from Abraham. Or I think about David, who when he goes to marry the daughter of Saul, Saul gives him a task. Now, you may not like to talk about it in church, but it's in the Bible. Saul looks at David and says, David, if you want my daughter, I need you to bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. You know what David says? When you need them by. David didn't say, are you crazy, king? That's too much. How about five or three? I heard her cornbread ain't even that good. Maybe 20. David says, where's my spear and when you need them by? You know what David does? He brings them back. And David got married. Well done, old son. I think about Samson, who when he was betrayed by his lover... The Eagles wrote a song called Witchy Woman. Always reminded me of Delilah. She'd comb that hair for him and just pet him. And, oh, you're so handsome and strong. That man was born to do one thing and one thing only. And that was kill his enemies. And he was good at it. And she's petting that hair and she loves him and he's so handsome and you know he's doing what we do. He got got a little selfish and he forgot what he's born for, and he's just laying back and just he's rolling around in it. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all do, some of you don't. I hate it for you. I really do. I tell you what, boy, Holly, I got some hair back here. I put it up. You know, Pastor Cavy likes it when I put it up, so I did that for her today and everything. But by, when I let that hair down at home, boy, Holly rubbed that for me. She started praying over me, reading the song of Solomon to me. Said, now, this, it pays to be a man of God. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> Samson let his guard down. Next thing you know, he's missing some hair. Looking like he's got a buzz cut and he finds himself blinded, surrounded by his enemies. And so when I think about a manly man, he gave his last breath to accomplish his purpose. I think about Elijah outrunning a chariot. That's all, just think about it, just a minute. Elijah outrunning a chariot across the desert. Nike to given him an endorsement so fast. calls down fire from heaven in front of a whole nation i wonder when the last time was you spoke the truth to someone face to face much less stood up in front of a whole nation tell them something they don't want to hear that man had some backbone and he stood up and said we've been on the fence long enough time to decide who we think god really is he give the bad guys a fair chance And then, when he went to demonstrate who his God was, he didn't read a poem or tell a joke. He called down fire from heaven. Let me say what you want to about Elijah, but when he said whatever he said, said, let there be fire, God said, you got it, old son, coming on pump too. Woof. And then, to go a bit further, he said, where's my sword? And he went down by the river and killed a hundred prophets or something like that. You think them prophets just took that? If I was one of them prophets of Baal and he killed my five buddies, I'm getting me a sword. Because you ain't getting me, Elijah. He killed them all. Men have great capacity. Prophets spoke to kings and told them, get right or your days are numbered. And then we can even think about the New Testament. Almost all of the, well, all the disciples and almost all the saints that we read about, they gave their life for the gospel. We point our finger at Downton Thomas, and he went the farthest. I'm going to say that again. We read one story about Thomas's alleged doubt, and we forget that Thomas took the gospel the farthest of all the twelve. Peter, when they went to crucify him, when he wavered just before Christ's passion and said, I do not know him. But when he was faced with his own certain death, he said, I'm not worthy to go in the same way that Jesus did. If you want to crucify me, turn me upside down. That's a man. James, who was one of Jesus' inner circle, was one of the first to go. And they took him before a king to explain this gospel he was preaching about Jesus being king of the universe. James must have known, given Jesus' recent death, that if he went before the king and spoke the truth, that he was facing death. He walked into the royal chamber that day and he didn't bend and he didn't break and he proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he was done, they killed him. When I think about these people, I think these were men. Almost to the last and not least, there's the Apostle Paul who by inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he endured much difficulty, prison, stoning and beating, snake bite, shipwreck, because he knew he was going to stand before Caesar, the most powerful man in the world, and speak the gospel. And he did. And when he knew his death was near, his mind was not on himself, he picked up pen and paper and wrote other men who were dear and close and encouraged them, don't be dismayed when you get word of my death. You keep the faith, my dear friends and my dear sons. My life is but a drink offering that is about to be poured out. When I think about what being a man is, these are the names and stories that come to my mind. But now this is the second thing that I come to tell you today. You can try to live up to that standard on your own. You can try through your own discipline, through your own will, through your own efforts... And through your own strength to live up to these stories that I've just told. And you will be amazed at how close you might come. Because you're built for it. But when I think about the ultimate man. The most manly man that there's ever been. Jesus. Who made several key Decisions or gave us examples of his manhood. The one is when in the garden. If at this point he had not known he did when he went to the garden that death is near. He bows his head in fear and trembling. Feeling the weight of our sin and our iniquity. The history of the universe. The pressure of death. The whispers of the enemy was bearing down on him so tough that he's sweating blood out of his pores. And when he's under immense pressure, he says, in truth and honesty, God, I don't want to do this. But then says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was able to endure the garden because he was not there of his own efforts and his own striving. He was not there because of his own strength and his own internal character. He was there because he had a connection and an ability to hear and to listen and to commune with his Father who was in heaven. The Father led him to that moment. And when the pressure of the universe fell on him, his connection with God from within said, we can do it. And when they took him before Caiaphas and the Pharisees and they put him on trial, it was a sham trial. It was fixed. It was rigged. They called it a trial, but really it was an arranged death sentence. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God dragged before men who were eat up with pride and religiosity. And when they pointed their finger... And get and pronounce their judgment when they gave their manufactured evidence. Jesus held his tongue because his strength was not in his ability to communicate, although he was the master communicator and preacher. He held his tongue, and I believe he knew that my father will cause me to stand, and I need not even speak. And when he was dragged before the heathen and the pagan ruler, Roman ruler Pontius Pilate, the governor ruling in Caesar's stead, another sham trial. It was pronounced there, who would you rather have, Jesus who raises people from the dead or Barabbas who makes people dead? We as a race called out and cried out, We want Barabbas. And Jesus never said a word. He does talk with Pontius Pilate, the man who had received some of the best education that his world had to give him. He was taught the doctrine and philosophy of Aristotle and Socrates. Pontius Pilate was not an uneducated man. He knew how to read and write. He was good at war and he was wise in ruling. How else would he achieve a governorship of one of the most valuable provinces in Rome? Jesus stands before one of the leading politicians and generals of his day. And they debate the issues of life. And he debates Pilate into such a corner that Pilate says, Jews, if y'all want him killed, y'all can kill him, but I wash my hands of this. And Jesus bore the stripes... His ribs exposed. You could see his lungs in and out. They fashioned thorns and with a hammer drove them into his skull. Pulled his beard and he never said a word. He took it and he took it and he took it. And as he marched up the hill of Calvary with a cross that was too much for him to bear, his closest friends and disciples were nowhere to be found. And he continued on. He finished his mission. And he finished his purpose. He gave himself for people that he knew would still reject him. When I think about what it means to be a man... I think about Jesus. When I think about and I imagine as men, what are we capable of? What can we do? How can we change the world? I look at how Jesus and his followers changed the world. And they gave it all. And I want to be like that. And I think you do too. So here's the second thing I come to tell you. We can't be those men by striving. We can't be those men through our own efforts, through our own wit, through our own skill. We'll never live up to those examples that our spiritual forefathers have laid out for us if we try to do it with our own disciplines. We can never manufacture from within us the kind of godliness that our families and that our cities need. We'll never do it. I came to tell you, you don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to be perfect anymore. The world has been telling you the kind of man you should be, ought to be, have to be. If you want my opinion, they're a bit confused on what that even means. But God has given us a crystal clear example of what it means and looks like to be a man. The reason why the heroes of the Old Testament, the disciples of the new, and Jesus standing in the middle were able to do the things that they did was not because they were the strongest and the fastest or the smartest. It's because they knew how to get on their knees. And they knew how to quiet their soul. And they knew how to hear from heaven. And they knew how to pick themselves up with the word from heaven and say, Here we go. We're going forth. I'm going to stand my ground on the Word of God. And the source of my life is not my creation or my purpose or my money or my family. The source of my life is God the Father from whom all things flow. And I have a scriptural warning for you. You may say, preacher man, you're pretty young. And I've been at this a long time. And I've done all right for myself. Revelation 3:17 and 20 says this as the Lord addresses the church at Laodicea. You say, "I am rich. I have required wealth and do not need a thing." But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And get some white clothes to wear from me so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And some salve from me that you can put on your eyes so you can see. If you hadn't wrote nothing down all day, you're going to want to write this right here down. The essence of eternal life is knowing God. The essence of eternal life is knowing God. We will never be rewarded or celebrated in heaven for building things through our own efforts. We're rewarded for building what God says with his energy and strength. I'm going to take it one step further. The prophet Isaiah describing our arch nemesis Lucifer says this. Describing the condition of Lucifer's heart. You said, you is Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and I will lift myself up to the utmost heights of Mount Ziphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. But you, Lucifer, are brought down to the realm of the dead and to the depths of the pit. And I'm going to paraphrase this part. I'm going to put a little Appalachian on it. And Satan, when you find yourself in that pit, all the people that you tortured and tempted will look at you and say, Is this the one that brought torment to the nations? What's Isaiah saying? Lucifer thought he was a big deal. And that he had it all together. And that by his own might, he might exalt himself above God. But Lucifer made a mistake. And he's really good at leading us to make the same mistake sometimes. He made the mistake of believing that because he was glorious, he could stand on his own. You might look at yourself in the mirror. You can wiggle your fingers and your biceps move. You might be 85 years old and your hair is as thick as the day you was born. You might make more money than anybody you've ever heard of. But if I stand you up next to God and I start comparing who's who and what's what, you'll fall short every time. But because of Jesus, we have the ability to be stable, to be faithful, to be disciplined, to be men who we've always, always have love to give, that we'll have strength to get up and to keep going. We can be men with God's help that we can say no when we need to say no, and we'll say yes even when it scares us half to death. I'm imploring you today, men, stop striving To be the man that you think you ought to be. Lay down your pride. Lay down your skills and your ability. You're doing a pretty good job already. But don't do it through your own strength. Do it with God's strength. Jesus gives us a great example of how to do this. We call it the Lord's Prayer. He was speaking to us through context of prayer but i think he's really given us a way to live every day of our lives jesus says they say to him how should we pray jesus he says father hallowed be thy name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our sins So that as we also forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. Do you want to know how to be a manly man? Do you want to know how to be able to go the distance? To make enough, provide enough, be enough? Live that prayer. Pray it every day. In the morning and at night. Say, God, you're going to give me today what I need to be the man that you have called me to be. My auntie might be telling me to get it together. My mother-in-law may hate the way I plant my flowers. You know, my grandma, she may not think my biscuits are as good as hers. My wife wants a bigger car. Jimmy needs soccer cleats. Don't give in to that. Don't give in to that. You wake up every day and say, Father, hallowed be your name. He is more than enough, always has been, always will be. If you'll do something special for me, I want just the men to stand up, please. I'm just going to pray over you, and then we're going home. You've been so patient. Men, bow your heads and raise your hands. Lord, I speak over these men. Lord, I lift them up to you. Lord, I trust in your watchful and attentive eye that you see each one, where they are, what they're going through, what they're facing, what kept them up last night, and what they're worrying about. Lord, You see each man. And Lord, I pray today that You will strengthen these men and that You will stir up within them Your voice and that You'll stir up within them the love that You carry and the love that You've put on the inside of them and that they will not be men who are hollow shells. They'll not be men who are cogs in an economic wheel, but that they're living, created, beings that you know and call each one by name and so lord i pray that you give each man what he needs for his own life and for his own walk that you're touching him right now wherever he is each man that has a need you're feeling it and you're touching it that you are not withholding your love or your presence from these men You're not withholding because of what they've done and what they've said. Your word says, Father, that our sins are as far away from us as the east is from the west. And that their memories and the shame and the guilt that they may have carried will not hinder them. Because Jesus' blood washes us white as snow. That they're not dirty and bent, but that they're clean and pure. They're not weak, but they're strong. And Lord, we have not made ourselves this way. You are making us this way. Lord, I pray today that be every man's reality. I pray it in Jesus.